Welcome to the Satellite and New Space Matters podcast, a series of interviews with key leaders throughout the industry, all brought to you by the Satellite and New Space team at NUCO, a specialist global recruitment and executive search firm. Welcome to the Satellite and New Space Matters podcast. Your hosts today are me, Annie Savage and Annabelle Smeaton from NUCO's space team, and we are delighted to be joined today by Cami Brunn expert in strategy, business development in aerospace and AI-based analytics applications. Cami has held multiple hats in the space industry. She started her career at Airbus um, and she has then held leading commercial roles with Euroconsult, Head Aerospace and more latterly SkyFi, a geospatial startup developing a mobile app to help democratise access to satellite imagery. Alongside all of this, she has completed multiple degrees, been a chairwoman for women in aerospace in Europe, and is currently finalising her MBA. A very impressive person, and we are delighted to host her on the podcast. Welcome to the show, Cami. Thank you so much for inviting me to the show. Absolutely, it's our pleasure. Um, and yeah, so to kick us off, we always start with the same question. How did you first get into the satellite and space industry? Okay, so it's a um, long answer, but I will keep it as um, as easier to understand and, and a quick um, intro of myself. So my early career, when I started in the space market, it was in 2007 in the headquarters of EADS, which is formerly the Airbus Defense in Space. So um, my first project was more like a transitional space project, but actually it's new space, but it wasn't new space at that time because it was so long time ago, but it's more like the new space environment and business model. So I worked on a project to evaluate a new business model to commercialize the hardware testing facilities of the Airbus group of different business units. So um, the idea is those um, business units of Airbus have different testing facilities vibration, EM chamber testing, etc. So my project was to create a new business model. How can we create a new business and a service to external customers? We can use uh, those internal hardware facilities. At the end, we didn't launch the, 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 the new product or service at all because we didn't have the right, uh, had the right levels of demand from the market. Again, it's a problem of product market fit. But I believe that if today we launch the same initiative, We'll have our customers because today the new space in the last five, eight years, we have new space industry coming up from the market. A lot of small set manufacturer launcher, but also those payload manufacturer, they cannot invest in building their own testing facilities. So if it was now today, I believe that will, it will pretty work um, if what you're doing. And uh, after that experience in the group of EADS, because it was in the headquarter with the aircraft, but also our satellite launch, et cetera, I focused a little bit on the downstream. So I joined Astrium, which is the headquarter of, uh, in that moment was uh, uh, Sport Image or InfoTerra. And then after that, I joined you consult a Paris-based consulting firm specializing in the space market. So I worked there for seven years mainly on the due diligence and satellite strategic market analysis. And um, one new things uh, that I, I did there is to organize the World Satellite Business Week 
in which in include also the submit on Earth observation. So at that moment, when I started that, it was like the second or third edition. I need to talk with a lot of company that ask them, can you come to join the event? Because the event is not yet well known. And uh, when I left the company in 2016, it was a 10th edition. And it became uh, the new space must attend uh, event, especially for those uh, observation market player, but also new space uh, coming. So, um, and the most recent career that I, I did was in Scafi. Um, I managed partnership with almost all of the sector operators, most of them are new space players. So it's how I started my new space industry. Oh, fantastic. And, and what a fantastic career you've, you've had so far. Um, brilliant. Now I'm going to pass over to Annabelle just to ask you a few questions on, on the past. Yes, Cami. what we would love to know is um, who do you think has been your biggest influence in your career? Um, you mean who, right? Let's say, um, um, I would say maybe there's several elements in my past is, um, I believe that when I, uh, I mean, the market is changing. Myself, I'm changing, I'm learning day to day. Uh, when I started in the past, uh, I would say that I can, uh, when I was your consultant, I work on a lot of projects with different stakeholders in the telecom, in the earth observation, observation and geospatial market. So I can see a lot of changes in the past uh, in the geospatial side in the last 15 years. Uh, when I, uh, when I, when I have a look on the market himself, in the past, you have a lot of baby boom of the different constellation. And I work with uh, different, let's say, investors, but also set operators okay. to understand what is the growth of the market. So uh, at that moment, I, I learned that um, the market is always changing. And, and, and I always believe that when you have this baby boom of new space somewhere, like the optical constellation 10 years ago, and you have the radar constellation, we now have the hyperspectral constellation. So when I work on it, it, it's like you will never be survived for every uh, all the stakeholders. So for me, um, I learned a lot when I was working on, on, on that side of market analysis. But today, I believe that we have a lot of lessons learned with what we do and the work um, with in the past. Amazing answer. And I'm sure that is many. But what um, in your in your past career, what achievement are you most proud of? The achievement, let's say, um, I would say that when I, uh, one of the achievements is, as I mentioned uh, in the beginning, uh, when I started to organize the summit of on Earth observation, which is part of the World Satellite Business Week, uh, it was a baby event. I would say it was less than thirty people coming in the, to the to, to the event, and after seven eight years of um, business development effort, uh, it is now the must eat must attend event. So I'm very glad that I had this opportunity to organize the event because I was also in contact with a lot of executive levels. Um, uh, let's say in the market, so they are all C levels. So I'm very proud of myself that I was able to create that network because at the end, this market is all about the network. So it's one of the achievements. I really believe that it's a very, uh, it's a strength of myself because at the end, um, I create a network and we have, uh, let's say, the knowledge to understand the market growth. So it's one of the things that I believe that is a great achievement of, of myself, and I'm really, let's say, using this uh, network for me today when I work in any of the company uh, of the of the market. 
That's fantastic. And it's really amazing to hear all the um, key milestones that you um, have been through in your career. Um, so now let's bring it a bit more um, forward into the future to the present and the future. So passing over to Annie. Yes, um, thank you, Annabelle. And, and yes, yeah, certainly, Kami, I think you're completely right. The networking events are such a key part of the industry. Um, and I think everyone, everyone within it looks forward to them um, each year. So kind of, yeah, as Annabelle said, bringing it to the future um, and the present. What would you say is kind of your current take on, on the new space industry? Um, I think the new space industry first is not an easy market. No. Uh, it's very difficult. <laughs> there are a lot of competition. Uh, there are lots of new space companies from upstream and from downstream appearing every day. I was just learning every week there's new company in the world that I don't know. So um, I can think I can say that today technology can do almost everything we want to. Um, today the barrier for me is not. Um, the technology itself, it's not because we cannot build something new in terms of tech. It's more on um, how we understand the market needs. I would say the geospatial or space in general is a rare real market because we always start talking about technology first, the product first, before talking about the customers. Of course, this is not a B2C market, I would say, but it's maybe because of that reason we always said we're space, we're tech, we talk too much to tech himself. And I can take an example of the Chinese uh, Earth observation satellite market. Uh, um, let's say in, in, I mean, the Chinese EO Earth observation market is one of the most, let's say, with the highest number of uh, EO satellite launch per year. But the main motivation of them is not because they believe that people will need it, but what they do is they really want to demonstrate as a space power country with very high-end tech developments in terms of payload, in terms of manufacturing. So um, a lot of them is really a poor demonstration, but they do not really consider from a user perspective. So it is a very, really, very uh, true uh, thing that is happening. I believe that today, uh, the remote sensing or geospatial market is very limited because it is no longer profitable to only sell um, the image or the himself, uh, uh, the, the pixel. So the geospatial market is maybe four or five times uh, bigger than the imagery side, but it's still very small in terms of other application like navigation or static communications. And um, I believe that in the present today, uh, is a charging market. If we do not think differently in terms of business model, in terms of user perspective, it will be very difficult for a new space company to grow beyond what they can do. Sorry, your microphone is cut, Annie. Apologies on mute. <laughs> but yeah, no, thank you, Cami, for your input. And um, how do you how do you see this market evolving in the next decade? Um, I would say that um, well, new space is of course the core thing that everyone actually is very chic to be new space now. And I would mm. say um, in globally, the new space, of course, in the US and in Europe, just behind, as I just said, it's not because of technology. Technology in Europe is very good, but the funding, the fundraising in Europe is extremely difficult compared to the US. Because now I work for a US company in the past, 
I know what is about the new space company. And I believe that in the coming years, um, in Europe, of course, the funding will, will I mean, will, will grow, uh, I mean, uh, more or less uh, at a more significant way than in the last five years. And uh, I will also imagine that in Asia, it sounds like we're quiet new space environment, but it's not true. It's only because it is a very close market that we do not have much information of the Asian new space company, but I'm pretty sure that they're very good uh, company there. So I expect that uh, the Asian new space company, uh, Asia in general, because Asia is very big. You have China, you have Japan, you have also Southeast Asia, Singapore. So in Asian side, they'll probably catch up but it's just because we do not know them or they're not yet very international. So I would expect the new space market is continue to grow in the next uh, near term. Uh, but I believe that's also some market consolidation, consolidation because today the new space market, when there's one topic come up, there's certainly a lot of company uh, going one after the others. Geospatial is one area. The space uh, debris, but also space traffic management is also one area in the new space mm. that people talk about that. Population is also another topic. So I believe that market consolidation will happen because in the market, we do not have sufficient market demand compared to the 10 or 15 players. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely think so. And um, no, thank you for, for your contributions there. Um, so. Moving on and going to go into a bit more detail in terms of those areas you just mentioned, Cami, but we'll pass over to, to Annabelle to ask you about the topic that matters. Yes, yeah, we are keen to dive into the topic, uh, topic that matters section and thought it'd be really interesting to gain your perspective on the Earth observation market. Um, so shall we start off with um, what are the main applications of, um, of the industry and what's really driving demand for the geospatial solutions um, and how are these companies sort of capitalising on these opportunities? Sure, I think um, the market didn't change much in the last uh, five, ten years. Uh, in terms of applications, I would say that defense security is still has always been the first market um, for the geospatial uh, upstream and downstream. Upstream, I'm referring more like the operators. Downstream, I'm referring the AI or the analytics company. So it's it didn't change. It's still the first market. But I would say the proportion compared to others' uh, application is going a bit, uh, let's say, uh, lower. Maybe in the past, like in 10 years, 10 years ago, it's count 80% of the market. But today it's going down to 60%. It's not because the absolute number is going down. I am saying more the proportion. Uh, the market size is growing, but proportionally speaking, it's a bit lower, like maybe 60, 65, 70%. Depends on the countries. And uh, I would say that um, others... Uh, area application which is really growing is i can see there are several uh, we have maritime that is uh, amazing market that's the difference let's say a merge of different technology today we can work together with the remote sensing geospatial with the iot but also with the ais so maritime is definitely one of the market that i can see the lot of synergy between different technology and i still believe that uh today remote sensing geospatial really apart I can reimagine that we should have some application or some services which merge at the same time geospatial, but also second out in navigation, more integrated. Because at the end, from the user point of view, they don't really care it is a remote sensing satellite or geospatial analytics, or it is an IoT. 
uh, all the AIS uh, uh, inputs. So from a user perspective, I believe that those like maritime could be one of the markets uh, is, is going quite well. And I would say that there's a future there. And I'll also uh, say that uh, some of the others like a more private uh, background industry, like finance or uh, engineering infrastructure. These uh, markets, when I was in your consult back to 10 years ago, it was like only three to 5% of the market. Uh, today, I'm pretty sure that with the growing numbers of AI-based analytics company globally, uh, we will be able to offer some solution which is more tailor-made for the end user. Because those end user, um, as I mentioned, finance, engineering, or infrastructure, urban planning, these people do not know what is geospatial. So why we cannot have a bigger market today is because we may not, we did not yet have a very perfect, easy to use solution for the end user. I believe that from a user point of view, it is very difficult. I mean, let's say they want to have something easy to use. They don't need to really care about what is set images or what the AI behind. It's just that when you order Uber, you 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 click three seconds of the car, but you don't care about how they how they manage with car driver or how they calculate which car is coming to you. So it is very difficult to offer a service which is, seems like easy to use, but answer exactly what the user needs. So I believe that those private markets will be able to grow in the next few years, supposing that uh, today those new spatial companies will be able to offer a solution more easy to use and, and answers the user need. Fantastic. And you mentioned artificial intelligence there. So yes. how is how is the industry currently leveraging these technologies to enhance data analysis and decision making processes? So the AI and machine learning has always been used in the geospatial market since some time, since a long time, I would say. Uh, we always use it to have object detection or change detection. So it's always been used even to classify different object in a set of images. So it is not something very new, but uh, I believe that uh, uh, today, I mean, as of 2023, we use even more than five years ago. So I'm pretty sure that it is um, a good market driver uh, to help, let's say two categories of um, downstream industry. The first one is those analytics company. They will be able to manage more data, I would say, because today uh, the AI and uh, machine learning will be able to help them to manipulate or ingest more data. And uh, I mentioned it a, a bit earlier in my conversation that in the remote sensing market, we're expecting a baby boom of hyperspectral conservation. Hyperspectral is not something new. The military have been using it since a long time, but they did not use it from the space, they use it from the plane or the drones. So with hyperspectral imagery, I'm pretty sure that will not be able to use it as it is because it's so complex to, in, to interpret information from there. However, with the AI and the, let's say, machine learning and also the knowledge of the geospatial expertise, I'm pretty sure that a lot of application will open up because we have more data supply, we have a better um, usage of the AI and new application. So I'm pretty sure that today we know some of the use cases of hyperspectral, but we are not yet fully exploring the potential. So I expect the AI uh, and, and machine learning will be able to, as a driver, uh, to help the hyperspectral industry to have a, a more significant growth in the next few years. 
Mm. And um, just just to jump in there, absolutely, Cami. And I think we've all seen a load of geospatial startups um, coming into the industry at the moment. Um, what do you think some of the challenges will be that startups will face in this industry going forwards? I think there are two things. The main challenge for me, the first one is um, first, um, let's say, uh, the fundraising part, because this is very difficult and a lot of company is coming up. Uh, but for geospatial companies, less a problem than a hardware manufacturing company. Because a hardware manufacturing company, if they don't have one fundraising or a set of operators, they don't have the sufficient investment for the capex because they need a hardware side. However, I would say the geospatial company, they may only need a little bit, not that huge amount of fundraising to support their growth. And um, that's one thing, but still they need some fundraising because they need to hire the team, they need to invest, etc. And uh, but I say that it's also because um, uh, a good business model is not necessary. You need to have all the investment from fundraising. If a geospatial company are able to have a good product that they're able to attract some early adapter to use their product, there's some revenue and through the revenue, and they'll be able to invest into their own business model to grow. And then they can have the second step to have some seed funding. It will be easier for geospatial company because at the end they will not have the huge amount of let's say fundraising the pressure from the investor to get the business model because some of the uh, new space uh, company has a furniture also a difficult situation is they raise a lot of uh, let's say seed round series A they use this investment to hire a huge team uh, do the expenses but after a year or two they realized that they still did not yet have the early adopter of the user to spend um, uh, less than money to get revenue from them. So it is a very, let's say the, the ecosystem is not that good because at the end, after a year or two, they will not be, they will not be able to show the investor that they, got the, that they have the customers. So I will say that there are two things, investment, but also how to get the customer acquisition uh, at its, it, they are the two main challenges. Thank you for your thoughts there, Cami. It's a, it's a really fascinating discussion and fantastic to learn more about how the industry is developing and leveraging new technologies to improve its offerings. Um, now to cover a really important topic and, and, and that's diversity. Yeah, sure. So our next um, section is on diversity um, and I think both Annabelle and I have been really excited to dive into this topic with you um, and even more exciting um, to discuss it on a satellite and new space podcast that is all women today yes. um, <laughs> so yeah really great to, to go into this so I suppose a great place to start would be um, and we're, we're both really keen to hear about it um, is if you could tell us a little bit about your time as the chairwoman of Women in Aerospace Europe. Yeah, sure. So um, uh, I love diversity and I think I'm definitely a diverse person in terms of my culture, gender and background. So I'm more like multicultural and uh, I originally come from Hong Kong and I settled in Paris 15 years ago. So I became a French and my whole career was, was founded in, in France. 
So I speak five languages. It's also the reason why I love culture and languages because for me, Impressive. when you speak a language, you can really understand uh, the, mm. the mentality and mindset of people facing facing you. And um, I'm also uh, part of the 10% women in the aerospace industry. Uh, it's not that much, but the figure didn't change much <laughs> in the last decade, unfortunately. So when I was a co-chair of the group which called Women Aerospace, which is actually an association founded in the US and then they have it in Europe and they're different local group in different European countries. So I was a co-chair of the Paris local group. So um, when I was chair uh, on that group, I mean, we organize a lot of networking events. We have like 50 to 80 individuals as members. So they come from uh, industry like Airbus, Thales, but also a lot of them come from the space um, a, a space agency like ESA, CNES, et cetera. So uh, they're, of course, they're not only women. They're also still, let's say, 5 10% of men which support in the group. So what we do during that group is we organize a lot of networking events and also some topic that we can have some brainstorming to 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 share what we think about um, uh, the women leadership or women in the space market. So, um, but uh, when I was there, there's been three year and a half, I realized that the lack of women in the space market is more fundamental than we thought. Uh, it's not only about how to promote women in a leadership position, but actually we don't have sufficient women in the market. So if you don't have sufficient women, you can't promote them. The problems really come from the very low end from the roots because um, the aerospace or the space market is considered as very man-boy uh, uh, studies when we're young. So we believe that we mm. should start it from the education system. Let's say one is in college, the teenagers, uh, there's not sufficient girls to be engineer. That's the problem. And after that, how mm -hmm. can we have more women than 10% to be leadership? just impossible and uh we did a lot of workshop we tried to also talk with uh, the younger generation let's say between 17 and teenagers 17 to 23 something uh that age uh to encourage them some of the career in the space market is not only for men and i take an example is um when i i'm well used to talk in international conferences and I can say most of the time, 99% of the time, I'm literally the only woman in the panel. And uh, once I was a speaker in um, a section, a panel, geospatial, but more on defense focus. So I was so proud of myself that I'm the only woman sitting next to two generals. I mean, I'm glad that I can make it, but um, sometimes I also ask the question is, do, am I qualified to do that? So. I want to also share to the next things that are mm. uh, very important things with the women is there's a gender gap, uh, let's say the confidence gap in terms of gender. So uh, I learned it only very recently. Even myself, I can consider that people say that, Cami, you have a good career path, you, you, you do it well, but I can really, to be honest with all of you, is that I still have this lack of confidence uh, until last year. And this year, when I'm doing the executive MBA uh, in the Paris Business School at SEC, I learned something that I really want to share with everyone, also because I, I learned it from the Paris uh, Women Aerospace Group, is that um, the, the confidence gap between men and women is a general thing. Once I know that, I have more confidence in myself. 
because I would say um, there is, uh, let's say, a lot of, uh, take, take two, three examples. Um, one example is um, when a man apply for a job, if they fulfill 60% of the qualification, they will apply for the job. But for a woman, they will only apply it when they have 90% or 100% fulfilling mm. the checklist of the qualification. So mm -hmm. naturally, it is natural things. I thought that it's my things. No, it's not my things. It's a general things for the woman. And also women, usually when you ask how they, how they rate their performance, they will put an average of 46%, while the man will rate it at 61%. That's only like 15% of gap. And according to linking, women were also 26% less likely than a man to ask for a referral. So all these facts, I learned it only since this year. And I realized, okay, I feel good now. I'm not the only one. So I really want to share uh, to the audience is, um, I'm not alone, you're not alone. It is a general problem between the confidence gap between women and a man. And uh, I believe that uh, we just need to know it and have some, I mean, let's say, uh, go ahead to do whatever makes sense to you and everything will be fine. Mm. No, absolutely. And I think that's fantastic, fantastic advice for, for people coming into the industry, but also people that are already within it. Um, and yeah, I think it, it's something Annabelle and myself see, see on a day-to-day -day basis as well yes. um, in terms of the, the quantity of, of blokes that are looking for jobs compared to women. Um, it, it's definitely definitely something that everybody within the industry can notice. What do you think then um, sort of bigger companies and organisations can do um, to sort of attract and retain a more diverse talent pool? Yeah. I think um, I, I pay attention on those today. Today's those, let's say, bigger corporate company. Um, they are doing the effort to have a more diversified leadership. Uh, they promote it. Uh, I believe that in France, they're generally more, not only in France, in Europe, they're more generally uh, conscious of the issues. And uh, in US, it's, it's, a, it's a bit better. In the US, is diversity is more women leadership is more, let's say, uh, you can more easily find a CEO woman than in Europe, new space, or than in Asia. I would say Asia is lagging behind. In Asia, because of the culture, I come from Hong Kong, so I know the culture there. It's even more difficult uh, in the Asian market. Uh, but I, well, I would say it's more length of the culture, but also it will take some time, some year. We cannot change the entire ecosystem and the society in the short term. Uh, but I really count on those corporates have a bigger size, they really focus, uh, not focus, they really push on diversity. And um, also uh, because you also have the different salary. Uh, I mean, in the free market, you have the high tech, uh, high tech one, it's a bit more women, geospatial or space, 10% only. The other day I read also in the AI market, you don't have much women. So I believe that those startup um, on the AI, but also geospatial, I think those newspapers, they're less, uh, let's say, less sensitive to need to be a, a man or, or, or they will have more willingness to recruit a woman. So I believe that it will change the, the market. But at the end, I think it's still very fundamental uh, for our next generation, the next, I mean, the generation of alpha. Or we need to, uh, I don't know if you have kids already, but uh, I, we need to encourage our next generation to do the, the study 
of those more men perceive uh, education and then we'll change it with time. We cannot change it like in the quickly in the one or three, five years. Mm, yeah, uh, absolutely. And you're completely right. It's definitely um, something that, that needs to be addressed kind of from the outset. Um, and a lot of these things are, are confidence um, and, and things like that, that can, can start to, to build confidence in individuals to pursue careers and, and do certain things from a young age. Um, and yeah, completely right. I think schools can have a, a real big influence on that. How do you see then the, the future of, of diversity in, in the new space industry? Um, I think the diversity, I mean, I'm very, let's say, try to be proactive because um, I build my confidence. I know I have the confidence gap today, so I don't have that gap anymore. <laughs> That's a good thing. So I'm quite proactive to attend to different events, also discuss with um, uh, women in the market to, to, to support them. In geospatial uh, side, uh, already uh, two, I know already two organizations, associations, uh, they are working on the women uh, in the geospatial side. So I'm also part of the member of it. And uh, I believe that today um, we're more sensitive to that, uh, which is not the case, uh, maybe five, to, uh, six years ago. So the fact that we're sensitive, we have conscience on it, and people start talking about it, not as a shame to talk about it, it's all the first steps. And um, I believe that also um, uh, in some conferences today, there's some section about women. I mean, for myself, to be very fair, I want to promote women, but I do not want to have that, uh, let's say, like positive discrimination, whatever. It's not because we're not we're against the men. It's not true. It's just because we want to help women to build a self-confidence and to be comfortable in them what they do. Because sometimes we're quite limiting ourselves. We're not maybe that good. So, you know, that is mm -hmm. more like helping, assisting the new generation or not only new generation, uh, even the same people in my age, I would say. So uh, I would say all these social events, networking, but also conferences uh, or talk or, or coaching will also help uh, women to have a, a stronger um, footprint in the markets in the next few years. But I'm confident on it. At least in Europe, we're in the good uh, path to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it's really interesting how you've kind of drawn on networking events as, as such a, a big thing and a good thing to be a part of um, throughout this podcast. And I, I know we certainly agree here at NECO. Um, Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Cami, for your insights into that. Um, it's been a really good topic to go over with you. Um, so I'm going to pass over to, to Annabelle now. Yes, thank you so much, Cami, for your thoughts on that. I think the confidence gap is something that women across the industry can definitely relate to. And I think many people are going to appreciate your, your thoughts on that topic. Um, but sort of bringing it back down a level, we've learned a bit about you already in your professional life. What I think our listeners would love to learn more about is a bit more about you and your in your um, life outside of work. So uh, in your sort of your own thoughts, what would you, I think your perfect weekend, uh, what, what, what does your perfect weekend look like? So my perfect weekend, um, well, to do nothing, but it's not true. I think I'm too proactive to do nothing in the weekend just to get rest, sleep and eat. <laughs> so my perfect weekend is if I can, I mean, if I can finish all my job the Friday evening, uh, then I can have enjoy the weekend to build myself. So I would like to have some time with my family, but also have some time to do things myself. 
So I like swimming, but unfortunately, I live in Paris. It's just too far from the sea. So if I can go to, I'm now learning uh, free diving. So if I can have free diving every Saturday, somewhere in the sea, that would be great for me. <laughs> I have a diving license, but I free diving or diving, whatever it is, really, I really enjoy to do that. And also if I can have time to um, uh, pick up my Spanish, uh, I speak Spanish like proficient level, but I didn't have time to do my Spanish class since already a year because I'm doing excellent MBA. If I can uh, go to talk with have a coffee with my Spanish teacher, that'd be great. And also if I can paint because um, actually I come to Paris, but it's a small secret because I come to Paris is not because I want to work in it. It's because I love the museum in Paris. And uh, if I can have time during the weekend, I would like to paint and enjoy life. But there are too many things I want to do. So it's, it's impossible. No, that's perfect. It's your ideal weekend, so you can do as much as you want to. But no, that's that's a fantastic answer. Um, so now on to my favorite section of, of the podcast, and that's with the, the quick fire round. Uh, thanks, Annabelle. And Cami, I just have to ask, where did you find the time to learn five languages? <laughs> so impressive. <laughs> time is uh, you arrange yourself, you'll find your time. I think actually, I think if someone's motivated. To do something, it will always get it done, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, right. Sorry, to, to the quick fire round. Um, so it's a it's a fun round. Um, you'll have to think on your feet, so no clues. But we're just going to run through several questions and just let us know the first thing that comes to your head. Um, so if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Ah, oh, this is a harsh question. <laughs> uh, nearby the sea in the island, um, I was thinking to move to Canarians Islands because they speak Spanish there. All the year is 25 degrees Celsius, that's perfect. So maybe I'll go there. Nice. Great choice, great choice. And cinema or theatre? Theatre. Um, unfortunately, I don't have much idea because I didn't have time to discover it in, in my past years. <laughs> no clue. That makes sense. That makes sense. And red wine or white wine? Wine. Uh, give me some tips. Red or white wine? Uh, I don't have a. I don't have an answer today. I'll tell. I'll tell tomorrow. <laughs> it's fine. Fair enough. <laughs> And um, mountain peaks or a bright sunny beach? Bright sunny beach, because I do free diving. Oh, yeah. Lovely. I think I'd probably say the same as well. And what's your favorite game or sport to watch and play? Oh, my sport is swimming. So uh, currently I swim three times per week. And when I have holiday, I go to dive, free diving or diving or just swim or looking. Oh, Everything. I mean, I hate nice. sports. That's too hot. I won't do sport with water. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Espresso or latte? Uh, latte. Me too. I I reckon. And last but not least, city or country? A country. As in countryside. Countryside. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Countryside, yeah. Yeah, both. Yeah. <laughs> we'll change. <Amazing. laughs> 
Amazing. Um, and we're nearly getting towards the end of the podcast, but I'm going to pass you back over to Annabelle to, to ask our final question. Yes. Yeah, so our final question for you today, Cami, is what piece of advice would you give to someone entering the industry? Uh, that's a very good question. And um, I think the most important thing is be yourself. Uh, do I mean, it's not because I, I came to the industry. It's not because I wanted to uh, be, but uh, there are two things I like. I like the space to spatial market as a whole. It's something that's cool. Uh, I like it. But I believe that um, the market is always changing. If someone wants to build a career in the market, I would believe that uh, you need to be very curious. I'm a very curious person. Uh, I always want to understand what, what does it mean behind. Uh, and then sometimes I will have a conversation with a technical person that he will explain me, uh, I mean, he or she, mostly he uh, in our market is an hour of the technical explanation behind, but it's, a, it's fantastic. So I think to be curious, but also be agile. And I recently learned something is like um, intelligence opportunist. So you need to take the opportunity when it's happened. Uh, I didn't plan in my in my job changes, I didn't really plan to do, to that company to work on it. It's just because I see an opportunity, someone need me, and I react to adapt myself. So as myself being a in the beginning being a foreigner living settling down in Paris, I didn't speak French at this moment. So it is not only entering a sector himself need to have certain personality, but the life himself. So when someone want to go to geospatial. I would say that I'd be agile at that. Think about it is really something that you want to do. And also think about um, what you enjoy doing because at the end it's a job, of course, but also the life that you're spending 15 or 12 hours, no, not 15, maybe maybe 12 hours per day if you work very harsh. So uh, I do believe that uh, uh, stick to yourself and, and do whatever makes sense to you. And to, if it is a woman listening to me, that's be confident to yourself, you can do it. And I believe that's, that thing would be perfect. Brilliant piece. Oh, brilliant piece of advice. Thank you very much for your thoughts there. Yes, thank, thank you so much, much Cami. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, and yeah, amazing insights. Thank you. Thank you so much, both of you, for inviting me to this podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please do subscribe and give us a rating. It really helps these stories to be found and enjoyed by more people. For more information about NUCO, we can be found at www.nuco-group.com. That's N-E-U-C-O-group.com.